Okay. You want me to do it? I do. Okay. This is Slashers, your favorite horror podcast about your favorite horror media. It is me, Mikey, here with my colleague, co-host, and cohort, Jake. Say hello to the mutant goons from beyond Jake. Hello, mutant goons from beyond Jake. How's everyone doing today? Great, thank you. Actually, not so great. I've told you my uh, perils of today already, but it did turn around and good news is abound. But it is just you and I, so that means that this is a... Middle-aged black and white. <laughs> I was gonna say teenage, but I was like, that's not it. It's the middle-aged middle-aged mutant podcast daddies. Middle-aged mutant podcast daddies. Put it in my rear end, real hard. Is that what the way it was? Yeah, beautiful. Yeah. I'm, glad, I'm glad you said it because I would have forgotten that last part. Um, but yes, this is the segment where Jake and I, and sometimes the other podcast dad, Jason, get together and discuss a black and white film from the past. That is not a hard set rule, though. If there was a black and white movie to have come out that is not The Lighthouse, I'm sure we'd be a great time to uh, discuss that film. But yeah, I would do it. It has to be good, though. Yeah. Like, I don't want some shitty movie where they just did it as like, a you know. Uh, uh, what is it? Uh, like a sales pitch or something, you know? A gimmick. I don't want any gimmicks. I want our tours work. Yes. And actually, we talk about wanting an our tours work, and boy, do we have the movie for you today. Oh, yeah. Today, I believe it's 1970. Let me just confirm. Correct? Yes. 1970. Turtle Power. 1970, John Waters' film, Multiple Maniacs. This is the Criterion collection that we saw. I was surprised this is a Criterion movie, but <laughs> really? But no, let me let me uh rephrase that. When I put this on, I was surprised to see the Criterion logo. At the end, I understand why it's a Criterion movie. For me personally, I'm sure there's tons of people out there that think this is just trash, smut, blasphemous. Thing that should not be like homegirl you think hocus pocus 2 is gonna put evil magic in your screen watch multiple maniacs oh yeah oh yeah you're gonna be cursed girl. <laughs> yeah cursed. i i was there was a certain part we'll get to later that i was like if i died right now i don't think god's gonna be happy with me your butthole pursed <laughs> your ass is cursed let me tell you that's the new shirt oh i love it um, but going into it, you know, this is a John Waters film, so I did expect some kookiness, some wackiness. Um, this was your first time too, right, Jake? Correct. Okay. I mean, I've, I've watched like Pink Flamingos and a few other things, but it was interesting to see, I guess, the development of like Divine, because oh, yeah. here, it, I mean, it was just interesting, but we'll get into it, obviously. But yeah, definitely my first time. Yeah. And upon reading, uh, not reviews, but upon reading summaries of this movie, I don't think anybody can get it right. The first review that I read was simply a traveling freak show. This one was kind of okay. It was like a traveling freak show, divines, perverse. What were they saying? Oh, uh, not festival. It's, it was um, perversion, uh, cavalcade of perversion. Cavalcade of perversion. Um, so it's basically which made me like, think of Henry Cavill. So we have Superman and the Witcher in a oh. tent. Believing would, himself and eating his own puke. I would love to see him in this film, in the remake. Um, but it was basically <laughs> the cavalcade of perversion. It's basically like a sex freak show where they go and they bring in people saying, it's free, it's free, come see. There's gross, well, what society considers gross things. It wasn't too bad, except for the guy eating his own throat was probably the worst thing. But like, Agreed. <laughs> the other stuff was like gay guys kissing. <laughs> yeah, I was like... Oh, hot dog. Yeah. <laughs> and then a woman who doesn't shave her pits. Um, and everybody's like, oh, gross. And they're sniffing it and stuff. Yeah. And that was so, like, it was so mean spirited. Like, I wonder how the improv, because obviously no script. So I wonder how much improv went into that. And like, she just called this woman fat. Like, that's just, that's just rude. I know. I hope they uh, filmed that on different ABB shots, you know? Oh, no. It was, Div no, actually, Divine wasn't there yet. But yeah, uh, 
so basically this this sideshow is going around luring people and then robbing and or killing them for yep. their goods they're looting um so that was the first summary i read which is probably the closest thing you can get to it the movie is way more than that but the one that i don't even know where i saw it from i read that was like three women go on in a trek to figure out what happened what really happened to sharon tate and her what? during her murder and i was like <laughs> what no <laughs> so, no 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 i oh, mean no 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 I can kind of see how you would get that if you saw maybe 10 minutes of it and nothing else. But it was very, very far-fetched. It's just disappointing. It's like, did you, you know, there's <sighs> plenty of times where you waste your time trying to explain something to someone or get them as excited as you are about something, which has happened on this show plenty of times. So we've talked about stuff that's, oh, this this is what it is. This is the real business. And people are like, I'm never going to watch that. Or we've done the reverse where people watch something and we're just like, you know, kind of laxed on it. Mm-hmm. But like, this is a movie where the story itself, I could understand how people kind of let it wash over them because of like the quote unquote visual experience. But that description is just so wrong. It's like, you didn't even let it wash over you. You were just <laughs> doing something else and that was on in the background. Mm-hmm. And you know what IMDb says? <laughs> this one oh, makes no. me laugh. This one makes me laugh. The traveling sideshow Lady Divine's cavalcade of perversion is actually a front for a group of psychotic kidnappers with Lady Divine herself, the most vicious and depraved of all. But her life changes after she gets raped by a 15-foot lobster. I would say it changes the first time that she's raped. But yeah, I mean, we can go with that. That is true. And also, for those that that may not be familiar, Divine is... Probably the first pop cultured icon of a drag queen to come about. If you've seen Pink Flamingos, she is the poster girl for Pink Flamingos. Divine is the inspiration for Ursula, which, by the way, at the end, I was like, Ursula's. Yes. And at the end, when she switches her personality, I was like, that is Ursula. Exactly. Um, The voice and everything, like Pat Carroll probably saw this movie and used that oh no they did that's openly discussed that was one of the things with this film was if i'm not mistaken the hans christian anderson little mermaid does it's just a sea wish she's not called ursula so Mm -hmm. literally her name ursula is an homage to this because they talk about ursula or saint ursula's cathedral and stuff yeah i remember them saying that a couple of times so i was like interesting Mm -hmm. now for people that may not be familiar, Divine is a drag queen, which means that they are a man that dresses like a woman. For the sake of Divine and her character, we will be referencing them as a she and her, or at least I will, so I don't want anybody to get confused when we're talking about Divine. Divine is a drag queen. In these movies, though, she is not a drag queen. She is just a woman. A woman, yeah. yeah. Which, from a cultural icon perspective, you're a little confused by. Like, I, I was kind of waiting at points for there to be a hook where it was like, oh, no, we're going to misgender them or we're going to reveal. And that was going to be somehow the salacious thing, um, you know, with Mr. David maybe saying something and then maybe the daughter realizing, oh, you were my biological dad or whatever. And I was just kind of cool to see, like, just a drag person just playing. And there yeah. was no gimmickry behind it. It wasn't like something like Trans America where you have to, like, mm-hmm. you know, have someone definitively making that the thing like i'm honestly surprised we don't see that more in modern day cinema where it could just be a drag person playing a girl yeah um, or a guy for that matter and i loved it honestly it didn't even phase me i was like she's the woman cool let's keep going yeah and i think you're totally right to refer to her as a her because it is divine the actress divine the performer it's not harris glenn milstead Mm -hmm. that was a gay man this is a woman in terms of identity i would say Correct. Mm-hmm. So it's no secret that her and John Waters did so much together. And I want to say, so besides Serial Mom, which I'm not like, I'm not holding this against, like, I'm not holding this film in comparison to Serial Mom because honestly, it's apples to oranges. The comedy is the same, but Serial Mom is much more Hollywood. This, oh, yeah. This, and we actually mentioned it, this is like, this is a passion project and that's what makes it so good and it you know it starts off with these people from i believe it was filmed in 69 because in one of the calendars in the background it's november of 1969 so you have these people and it's a criterion 
copy so it's crystal clear you have these people coming up to the sideshow and i loved seeing what people looked like in that time and not like a modern take of what they looked like at the time but like these people were from 1969 and i made note because you know we think about people in 1969 being a little more prudish being a little more you know uh buttoned up and i'm like i wonder what these actors were like on set or what they felt like they were watching when they were when john waters was like hey come partake in this because they seemed like really into it, like they were down for whatever. So it's fun to see people like that in those times when you would think, oh, you know, that's not appropriate. <laughs> like what they were acting like they were supposed to be saying, you know? Well, especially in an era where like guilt by association was such a thing, you know, like if you had friends with gays, you were gay. It wasn't a situation where you were in the general populace mixing heteronormative culture and such it was the quote-unquote counterculture i mean the 60s really is like at least in the american setting i can't speak to other nations but you know you had that direct you know conflation i guess of the conservative atomic family and like woodstock for instance mm -hmm. and i think this is a great movie because it kind of shows an interesting like commingling uh exploitation and, and i think kind of both sides get a little bit more so than you would expect from an artur's perspective like john waters right like i i think that the the freak show specifically shows like this is objectively freaky. It is the point and purpose. So you can be laughing at them in a safe space, but both sides get a little bit of rub as opposed to something where the freaks are overly sympathetic from the initial point. You know, this isn't freaks, Google gobble, one of us, where instantly you're kind of feeling like, oh, this is weird that they're watching. Like, Did you get that kind of a vibe? Yeah. Yeah. Because it, it wasn't the standard, like, it wasn't the standard, you know, freak show type scenario that I'm used to seeing. As a yeah. young person, when you watch a more mainstream movie, you know, where it's like, oh, the freaks are whatever. Um, but I wanted to ask you, because you have a really good way with words. How do you mm. how do you describe this type of movie? Like we have John Waters and we have our co-host Doug, who yep. make very similar types of movies. How do you classify uh -huh. these movies for someone that's not either hasn't seen them or hasn't been immersed into the film industry to know the different types of genres and what these stand for i can i can describe it for you very simply it's provocative and provocative is a very broad overarching term that can have many many subsets of meaning and one of the reasons why it makes perfect sense this is in the criterion collection is yeah it's going to offend some people some people are going to think it's irrevocably irredeemably just bad and and has no artistic merit but then there's the people who can look at it analytically and go it's almost like calculated to evoke that response and if it does that it's effective i will never forget i was in melbourne australia with my wife we went to a museum and there was a room which is an installation and it was a bunch of women who were dressed up in very bizarre costumes kind of like strange love triangle from new world order uh, where they were like in, in primary colors and weird shapes and they were just doing the most annoying laugh and it was literally just a video that paid on repeat of them doing this and they did it for like 10 minutes before the video would end and reloot and so I sat in there and I hated it I wanted <laughs> to punch everything and I left and I started laughing after I left and my wife was like oh did you think it was funny I was like no no no, no. I hated it but it was so effective at what it did I have to marvel at it and that's what like Doug's trash juice is like, you know, yeah. you and I have both worked on it. We've both seen behind. We know what goes into it and we know the kind of calculation like there's an, obviously a I don't want to get too behind the scenes with Doug's production, but there was a troubled element of it. And not only did Doug fix it, but he used it as a new opportunity to create more provocative content. And so yeah. you, people might go, oh, like that's obscene. But is it obscene if it's affecting the right conclusion and everybody's done in a safe and kind of comfortable environment? And that's this movie. I mean, imagine how severe this movie would have been perceived back then compared to now. It makes Trash Juice look like Sesame Street. Yeah, it really does. And honestly, like, it remind it like, I could see people thinking this is legit a snuff film. Um, oh, yeah. Like At that time, at least. Yeah, like kind of in the old cartoons when you had to go to the gas station and ask for the magazines under the counter. That's what this reminds me of. Oh, yeah. Now, with that said, this is the first time both of us have seen it in 2022. That mm -hmm. is about 
50 years ago this movie was made. Crazy to think of, huh? <laughs> yes. It blows my mind. And I honestly liked it. I appreciated what it did. But if this was released this year as a brand new film, like pretend John Waters was never around, let's say some independent filmmaker made this and released it. Do you think we would be as forgiving with the cinematography as we were knowing that this was made in the 70s? When it, This is technically John Waters' second film, but if I remember correctly, this is his first film feature with... Film. Second feature film, but first film with dialogue. Yes, uh, you are correct. So with that being said, the camera work, it goes in and out of focus. It is mm-hmm. all over the place. That wouldn't have been accepted today. True or false? Well, because it doesn't appear to be deliberate that that happens, I would say it wouldn't be accepted. There are guys like Tim and Eric. There, Look at Andy Kaufman, for example. Kaufman came after this. Uh, remember there's the, the scene Man on the Moon where he talks about purposefully trying to fuck up the video feed. So people get up from their couch and they slap their TV and they go, I spent several hundred dollars. And they're like, <laughs> Andy, we don't want people to do that. Because that was a deliberate choice, I think that people could kind of look at it as art. Here, it just so happens that like the fact that it happened at all is the art, right? But there's certainly issues within, I wouldn't really care. The fact is like, I was way more patient with this because I knew who was involved and I knew its cultural impact. This is again, one of a thousand movies we've talked about where like it's in the cultural zeitgeist. I know Divine. I've seen pictures of Divine and her boxy titties from this, you know, (laughs) still images throughout the years. So if I was just blindly watching this movie at like the first or third part, I'd probably like, okay, I I know what this is. I'm, you know, there wasn't necessarily anything that hooked me, but as a time capsule, damn, it's, it's just enticing. Yeah. What was your experience like watching it? Cause you texted me (laughs) early on and I was like, Oh boy, I'm just starting this. What did I get us into? Um, Because I'll, I'll start when I first started, when I first put it on, it's the first movie I've actually ever seen of Divine. I've seen pictures of her. I know her cultural references. I know her impact culturally. So I have a respect for her. Watching it, um, I it starts off without Divine, of course. And I, I was interested because of the time period and because of the 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 wardrobe that the characters were wearing and everything from 69 was, you know, alluring to me. And then the first time we see Divine. Did not know she was naked because it's like washed out and she's so white, but she's literally laying down in her tent and you don't know she's naked until someone moves and you see a small butt crack. Little butt crack. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm like, damn, this bitch is fierce. And she was just so mesmerizing to watch. And you know what her body reminds me of was Jason Siegel and Forgetting Sarah Marshall. I was thinking of the the bad guy from A Nightmare Before Christmas. Oogie uh, boogie. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> um, I'm totally into that. Um, and, you know, she's a large woman, you know, manly, of course, because of the obvious reasons. But there's just something visually appealing and that draws you into keeping your eyes on her. And it's funny because the makeup she does now, drag queens are still doing it. Like, I don't still, know. to this day. I don't know what drag was like back then, probably very, very underground, but it's just so strange to see a drag queen from 50 years ago versus what they're doing today. And like her outfits were perfect, you know, cause she wears things that like current drag queens wear in honor Crazy, of that time. Right? And it's like, uh, oh yeah, what's going on? I loved it. Um, and then we got to the church scene. <laughs> you want me you... to do this one because i'll i'll do this uh, this was i hope that john waters was sitting somewhere smoking a little cigarette with his pencil thin mustache and goes you know what would be great is if we saw drag queen have a rosary shoved up her ass in a church and then it just so happened that they did everything else just to have the one scene because i mean truly in, in the sense of provocative art that is going to the jugular of the Christian conservative in so many ways. You oh, have yeah. just the fact that it's sodomy in the first place is bad. Then the fact that it's a man being sodomized. I think a lot of people would characterize as bad. Then you have a depiction of Christ and you have all of these things. And it's a gypsy woman, which has racial implications with Mink Stoll. I mean, it is literally, 
if it wasn't deliberately planned, it was the summation of a life's worth of background noise coming together and being distilled into a moment. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. And it's funny because, you know, I've said before on the show, I grew up Catholic. I do consider myself religion. Sometimes blasphemous things do make me You consider me yourself religion. You are the, the Christ God now. I didn't stutter. Uh, you I'm said for, oh. <laughs> I know. I'm just kidding. You said it for real. You doubled yes. down. Um, I said it with conviction. No, like I, I am spiritual. You know, I'm, I don't really go to church anymore because there's a whole thing with that. But um, sometimes. Because you had a rosary shoved up your ass and got kicked out. <laughs> it's called, what was it? It's called a rosary job. Um, yes. So. Did you know that Mink Stoll could come and do your wedding? No, I did not. Yes, the actress who played her, uh, Nancy Payne Stoll, uh, she is actually an ordained minister for Universal Life Church. So if you want to get divorced and remarried, she's the gal to do it. Funny thing, I was reading the trivia, and they said that the guy who is injecting heroin in the freak show tents is the guy that helped lock them down the church for shooting. And I'm like, how did that conversation go? Like, because the church isn't yeah. just going to say, yeah, you can use the church for shooting. They're going to ask you, what are you doing? What kind of movie is it? I don't know. Maybe it's one of those hippie affirming churches that we here in Texas don't allow. But I don't think I, I would venture a guess that they had no idea what was happening. And when they say locking down, I have a feeling it was him going into a confessional and just talking to a priest and just dragging it out, you know, <laughs> so that they could do it. Because, I mean, just think of it. Think, I mean, you'd sue someone if you knew, at mm -hmm. the very least, just to maintain your own reputation um, yeah. in those days. I, that That's what blew my mind. Yeah. And so this scene usually would kind of like be too much for me, but looking at it as an artistic standpoint, and this kind of really made me respect Divine. She has, like, you think, um, oh, fuck, what's that series called? It would be funnier if I could actually get it right. Um, you think Midnight Mass has monologues? Divine has, like, a 10-minute monologue over this rosary scene in the church, and she is hitting every word with no stutter and no beat missed. And I am oh, like... Yeah. I'm like almost having a panic attack listening. It's about it's biblical references. It's narrating like, and I'm like, she's a good actress. Like in a film full of first timers and people that are less than desirable in their acting. Like this is why divine is a force. Cause she puts a hundred percent of what she has into it. And it was, it was just, <laughs> I'm sorry, God. It was such a great performance. <laughs> um, oh, and now we're both cursed with the butthole cursed. <laughs> well, not that part, but the it's monologue. The, worst. the monologue. Oh, and then when the little saint guides her to the church. <laughs> the little guy. Just imagine seeing that as you were driving down in your Plymouth 1958 and you just look over and you're like, oh my God, what is that? Well, it's so Crash funny because death. we're having a conversation to this day or during this time about if drag queens are appropriate for children or not. Oh and here God, you right? have a and little grooming. kid. Yeah, yeah. And you have a, but and it's it's funny because in the story, in the film, I forgot what saint he is, but it's a saint portrayed by a toddler dressed in a saint outfit. I don't know what they're called. Um and he's grabbing Divine by the hand and he's leading her to the church. And it's actually kind of a sweet sentiment. And you know, she's like she goes, I because she has a plan. She finds out that her boyfriend is cheating on her, the boyfriend that's helping her with the crimes of the freak show. And she's like, and I knew Who my decision. Are mutually blackmailing one another to perpetuate oh, yeah. this toxic relationship, mind you. Because yeah. he threatens her, she threatens him. Oh, yeah. And then the people that work for her, two of them raped her. Um I don't know that they worked for her. The glue sniffers? Yeah, it was um it was the the guy. Well, I don't think that they might have been the same actors, but I think they were meant oh. to be other people. Like I thought just she people said she stumbled upon. I thought she mentioned something about getting taken advantage of by. I don't know. I don't remember. Maybe you're you're right. Um. Anyway, she gets. What did I say? Oh, bearded man in a skirt taint, and then I sent the <laughs> drooling Homer Simpson to go along with it, and then oh, where did that rosary 
Gozery. <laughs> yeah, which is when I knew that I passed you in watching the movie because yeah. I already passed that. So I definitely got the reference. Um, I, I It was a safe bet considering I had to catch up on two episodes of Shulky. And let me tell you, I'm really glad that I did that because I got to see a certain recurring character or I guess re- resurrecting character and he's wearing a costume that's perfect and his performance is even better than it used to be. I won't say who and what, but it's worth watching. Yeah, I really like it, but I'm only seeing the first episode. I need to hurry up and catch up to it. Um, Honestly, I wish it was more antagonistic and maybe it's just because I'm watching this, but I think that they're they're being safe and confrontational when I would really like her to be like, I want 17 dicks in my pussy. Well, um, they have to be to... careful because people are stupid. They were already trying to give her shit for having a dance montage oh, when yeah. they've, they've posted literally other movies like Spider-Man and Captain America having their own Guardians dance montage. ends with one. I mean, yeah. that's, that's why I hated the end of Guardians 1, as it was super dumb. And this was just a fun thing with a person whose profession it is with Miss the Stallion to do the dancing. Yeah, and I love Megan the Stallion. And Imagine it's funny. if you hired Fred Astaire to do a cameo. I know this is an old reference. And then he comes on and then doesn't dance. Doesn't a certain popular... You owe it to your audience to I do know. that. Exactly. It is a civic duty. That's why you brought to us see here. Hulk booty. Well, you oh, know, I I have to interject. Okay. Did you see the heinous act upon which we have been affronted with the Super Mario Brothers movie trailer, where Mario doesn't have his signature apple donk? Bomb? Yes, dude. I saw a meme first. I was like, I saw a meme that was like, remember what they took from us. And it was a yes. picture of Mario's butt Excellent. now and then. Um, I'm hoping that he eats a mushroom at some point. Bom, and then bom, it goes, bom. Bom. and it's just big booty boy. I mean, it's Chris Pratt, so whatever. He um, is a Pratt. Ooh, I've but... always been more of a Luigi guy, which is made even stronger by the fact I'm playing Luigi's Mansion 2 right now. It is adorable. I oh. love it. Yeah. I bought Adam Luigi's Mansion. I don't remember if it was the first or the second, but now we have the, there's a third one, right? Yeah. Well, I don't yeah. have that system yet. The Switch? Mm-hmm. I've used my 3DS. So um, it's interesting because the 3DS conversion of Luigi's Mansion 1 is from a movie from two, or from a, excuse me, a video game from 2000. So it's got certain refinements because it was done in 2018. And now I've gone to the second one which was done in like 2014. So it's simultaneously better and worse. It's really weird, (laughs) but I love it. Well, all I know is all these things and all this misogyny and all this giving women crap happen because we don't have movies like this anymore. Movies that really say fuck gender. So Divine, please come back from the grave and teach these people what it means to not give a fuck about gender. And I also love the fact that she is a woman in it and not a tr- the evil tranny. We've mm-hmm. heard that expression a thousand times. You look at you know so much queer coded cinema, <clears throat> and so I wouldn't characterize this as queer coded cinema in this regard. It just yeah. so happens to be played by a drag queen, uh, I mean, which is refreshing. And even if she wasn't a drag queen, super old productions of theater did not allow women on set. They were oh, men yeah. playing women, and they weren't gay. Shakespeare they weren't be queens. watching a bunch of dudes licking each other and saying to be or not to be. Which, by the way, the ending of this film did remind me of very Shakespearean type plays. But we have. Oh yeah, like it's very Hamlet, and I think yeah. that's even like another joke on the whole element of like, it is the the tragedy of our era. Like it's it's a new art. It was very reminiscent of a lot of things and then her like descent into madness and everything you know you have these kind of visions of lady macbeth and stuff with her frothing at the mouth that wasn't a descent that was a bomb into madness (laughs) there was no descending it was a straight drop (laughs) um but yeah so where were we at where were we at we got to the part where we got to the saint and the, the little saint yeah, so Divine gets attacked by two strangers. Was that that was before the church, right, or after the church? No, it was before Correct. the church. She, before. so she gets attacked before the church. She goes to a church, gets. I mean, I don't know if you would consider it assaulted because she was down for it, but she gets she has sex with the gypsy woman, and then There's the the lobster happens before that, though, right? No, the lobster's at the oh, very right, end. right, 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 right. It's after. It's way after. Excuse yeah. me. Yeah. So then she comes out, and then. They 
they run out have a plot to kill her boyfriend because her boyfriend's cheating on her so she's like let's go get him and her boyfriend's cheating on her with this woman that keeps calling sex the act i want to perform acts with you i just wish you could perform acts all day and i'm like (laughs) i love it and i like i was just hoping that they were going to pan out and it wasn't going to be sex and that that acts was going to be like (laughs) playing don't break the ice so you don't kill the little penguin uh but in actuality (laughs) it was just on its nose but i understand why they're just practicing plays they're performing acts um but monologues from biloxi blues yes i don't know what that is it's a good monologue i performed it (laughs) once at a theater festival was really good oh yeah i forgot you're like into acting and stuff how cute by the Mm -hmm. way the way that my background that i use a lot of times when i do depositions is neil simon's the odd couple which is really good oh it's so cute um you look like you have horns by the way on your background right now um (laughs) you're a wendigo baby but yeah back to the film so when we go back to the film when we go back to the film yes uh, we have Divine, who now has a friend in Mink Stole. They're going to go plan to kill her husband, her boyfriend and his girlfriend. Um, this is kind of when I actually was like, it switched from just being entertained to like, now I was invested. Because now there's a story. <laughs> Finally. Uh, yeah. 40 minutes in, you're like, oh, okay, cool. Got it. No, for sure. Yeah. And so like, but also not just at that point. So Divine has a daughter named Cookie that they're all staying at her apartment. And I'm like, bitch, if you say you're being, what was it? I'm only letting you stay in my house because I'm being uh, something like generous, but not generous. But I was like, if you say that word one more time, I swear to God. So they have a plan. So Divine's planning on killing Mr. David. Mr. David, who's her boyfriend, is planning on killing Divine with his new girlfriend. So they're both trying to kill each other. And so when they have Mr. David's girlfriend hiding with the gun because she's going to shoot Divine, Divine's daughter walks out and ends up getting shot in the head. I was actually kind of like, oh, shit, this movie actually has stakes now. Because before you're just kind of like, it's kind of like almost like an Animaniacs movie where it's like people can die, I guess, but not going to feel anything about it. But then the daughter dies. And I was kind of like, oh, fuck. I feel now that there's a stake. Divine's going to find out and she's going to pop her lid. And also going back to the Shakespearean element, right? Like you have the image of Hamlet and, you know, he stabs the curtain and kills Polonius with his sword and it's all an accident. But then that like sets forth the next element and it's this calamity and it feels so much again, like the end of Hamlet where it just happens like everybody's dead or should be or wants to be in some form. Uh, and so it's one accident and then deliberate acts and immediate acts of violence. And you have the kind of, you know, eye for an eye situation. Um, it was great. I mean, honestly, I was kind of impressed that they didn't play it as slapsticky as I was kind of expecting. You know, I yeah. kind of expected that like, the first one to be like, oh, waka waka. And each one was going to be sillier and zanier. But instead, it spins into madness and literally to the point of being rabid. Yeah, exactly. And it's like the more mad as in crazy she got. I feel like there is not major, but tiny shifts in tone of the film to be almost serious, but not too serious. Not Um, grim, yeah. Yeah, like, okay, people are actually going to die. Because I originally thought they were going to meet up, argue. The fact that they were both going to kill each other was going to turn each other on. They were going to get back together. Like, that's kind of where I thought it was going. Yeah, same. Very Rocky Horror kind of a thing. Yeah, but then they killed the daughter. So I was like, she's not going to like that. So then mm-hmm. they show up, Divine or Mink still ends up killing Mr. David's girlfriend. And then they are like, oh, we actually kind of like the way that felt. Like we need to kill again. So then they kill Mr. David by stabbing him. And then Divine, always trying to outdo herself, ingests actual organ meat. I forgot what it's called. Um, Gizzards. No, it's awful. Awful is organ meat. Um, but they got organ meat from a butcher, obviously, and when they're pretending that they're stabbing him, she's pulling out his guts, and then she starts eating it, uh, and then they're like, we need to find someone else to kill, we need to find someone else to kill. I thought they were gonna kill the guy they, that they tied up, because yeah. like, oh, he's another guy, but right that actually, there. yeah, but I guess Divine actually likes him, and so when Mink Stoll accidentally kills him, she kills Mink Stoll, part of me was like, she just wanted to do it because she likes killing now and 
she literally goes rabid like jake said she's actually foaming at the mouth at this point um and then i don't even so this i was like i don't know when the last time i was like what the fuck am i watching as yeah. much as i was at this part you hear and i i don't know if this was intentional or accidental or if it was the real noises on set but you can hear something big coming you hear like boxes rattling metal shanking and all this stuff and it could have just been the production crew dragging it but yeah the way that you hear it it's perfect and this large lobster comes out and attacks divine and then you realize it's actually raping her yeah and honestly that's something that always really bothers me is rape or the humorization of it um you know even like the zinger earlier on with the the two glue sniffers when she's like oh i've been raped before but never like that and and this like because just like you said she almost seems to like the murder when she gets to killing ming stole i was I, I if it was a consensual act of her accepting the craziness right because I, I think that's what the lobster represents right yeah. the box lobster in this uh if she <laughs> was just accepted and then it was consensual i like that narr narratively and also it offends me less but then i have to remind myself it's trying to offend me so i have to kind of go oh, okay it goes back to what you said earlier, where you describe these films as provocative. They yeah. want they want to get any emotion out of everybody they can. Um, and I'm kind of with you on sh maybe she was kind of into it because there's some parts where you can't tell if she's laughing or if she's screaming. And I think they kind of did it on purpose where it like alternates. Yeah. That alternates where she's like in distress, but then the next one, she's kind of like, well, it's the quickest cuts of the whole movie. I mean, there's there's yeah. wide swaths of this movie. There are minutes on end of continuous shots. But then that manic cutting back and forth, I think that was pretty deliberate. Yeah. And I have no idea where that lobster came from. But then it just leaves. And then this is where Ursula really shows up. <laughs> this is Ursula's origin story. Because my Start thing is... Start poor, unfortunate souls and all that shit. Exactly. They pretty much, after they... So Divine goes on a crazy spree. She's terrorizing the town. Trivia says this whole scene was filmed on a Sunday morning. I think they were trying to insinuate that when people were at church, they were like, let's get this out of the way now. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> people show up with these like French soldier looking guns and they gun her down. And then in my mind, they threw her in the ocean and she became an octopus. But I love it. <laughs> but that's the end of multiple maniacs, which is weird because she was kind of the only one, I, I guess everybody was kind of a little crazy at some point, but she's the only one that goes full on maniac. But again, with her commitment to these roles, like I do not know any drag queen that's going to do what she did because drag queens always want to look beautiful. And she did not give a fuck about how she looked <laughs> like she was crazy. Yeah, I mean, or they want to look done up we'll say like you got somebody like sharon needles or something like that who is trying to look very presented even though if it's not like a conventional beauty you know when yeah. you have certain like more grotesque elements but yeah i mean that kind of like it's the exact antithesis mm -hmm. you know she goes from this put up woman to the wild man that fights and fucks gilgamesh i mean it's the exact opposite <laughs> when you're thinking about you know the what they represent yeah I was actually thinking this might be the first time in middle-aged podcast daddies we see a movie that we don't like. But as I was watching it, I was like, "No, I like it." <laughs> oh yeah, I'm I'm a, I'm on board. What were your What were your your thoughts of the film overall? I mean, it's interesting, and that's the great thing. If I didn't have the benefit of knowing that there was some cultural impact. Not even being able to, I can't speak to the fullest extent of it, right? You know, as a cisgender white hetero guy, like there's not much I can say to this experience. I know that it's not representative of anybody, but I mean, thinking about the impact on queer culture, on queer creators, the emboldening, the there's a lot of things that I'm aware of. Um, if I didn't have that, I wouldn't have the patience for this. I'd steal the lobster. I'd watch the whole thing probably, but I don't think that I would sit here and be looking back with charm. I think I'd be looking back with something more of like a, oh, cute. I see what mm -hmm. they were trying to do. 
but because they're the, like an innovator, it's, you know, it's like watching old tag team wrestling, right? Where you're like, oh, that doesn't look great, but they were the first people to fucking try it. So God bless them. Um, yeah. And also, I mean, I, I think that it's a really fun performance from Divine. Like it's, it's interesting and it shows layers and levels in a way that like I'd never seen. So like, I don't think anybody at the time had ever seen or anticipated that somebody could do that. So I'm, it makes perfect sense that her career kind of blew up from there. Yeah. I think, and it's hard to disconnect the fact that it's a John Waters film yeah. from the movie. So I don't know how I'd feel if it wasn't John Waters, but what I really liked about it is almost like the tenacity of the filmmaking and knowing where he went from where he was and watching this it kind of lifts lights a fire under my ass with like me wanting to make short films and being like why can't like obviously these people just went out and did it yeah, like there's no permits there's not a single permit in this whole fucking yeah. thing you think when they're doing the reverse Beatles and she's being you know chasing all those people away you think that they like stopped and were like okay city council can we put a vote on this no yeah and so, like, it it kind of motivates me to, like, go back out there and, like, do what I'm passionate for. So that's also, like, another layer that the movie didn't necessarily show me, but that I have for it, just knowing the background for it. Like, it's one of those movies where it's like, you want to make a short film, you want to make a feature film, like, go do it. Look how John Waters did this. And John Waters is, like, one of the most respected queer um, filmmakers, actually filmmakers in general, yeah. um, especially in the horror industry. Um, by the way, speaking of queer filmmakers, you know that it's the 100th anniversary of Nosferatu, and the filmmaker for that movie was a gay man. So you're welcome. Didn't know that. Well, I mean, I knew the gayness. I didn't know the 100 years. Yeah. So uh, Multiple Maniacs is 50 years, and then we can go back to Nosferatu, which is 100 years. Crazy. Uh, I know. Gay people have been around forever, apparently. But what? I know. Crazy, when I just but... mentioned Gilgamesh and he was fucking dudes, that wasn't just sport. That was actual what? That's the guy from the Smurfs, right? Oh my god, that's a good one. I really <laughs> like that. <laughs> um, but anyways, so Jake, I already know this is a trashic. Oh, you would say it's a trash. I would actually say it's a classic because of its because of its cultural impact. I would characterize it as a classic instead of a trashic. It is Which smut, is but because of its placement in the history, the pantheon of smut, I would give it a classic. Well, see, maybe we have a different view of trashic because trashic to me is classic trash. It doesn't mean that it's bad. But the thing with trashic is the I very often, if you look back through the history of trashics that I voted on, they are movies that are like, whether you want to call it guilty pleasures or movies that are good, bad, a, very rarely are those trashics elevated to a cultural perspective like this. You know, like uh, I'm trying to think of a good example of uh, a trashic rating that I would have given. Uh, but very often, if it had a, I, I do characterize the cultural impact pretty significantly in my estimation. The 13th Warrior. Um, did I give that a, a trashic? I'm pretty sure I gave that a, a classic. Actually, wait, just the Antonio Banderas one. That's it's such a good movie. Oh, yeah. uh, unironic. Have you seen that movie? A long time ago. Okay, Freddy got finger. No, I'm trying to think. Man, we've done so many episodes. Scrolling back is kind of fucking annoying. <laughs> well, okay, I miss here's one. Did I do Mortal Kombat? I feel like that would be a trashic, right? Mm, that's pretty significant cultural impact, God though. Damn it. Tell me what trashic means, real quick. So trashic is just a good bad movie, and I think the fact that they're not taken seriously. Um, is one of the things I think at the time this came out, I'd consider it a trashic, but when you factor in like, here's a good one, like eight legged freaks, I'm sure is more in the trashic category. Uh, arachnophobia gets more to the classic territory when you take into effect, like the cultural impact and, and the significance of it. That's like the slight distinction, but I think that it's, it's all a gradient, right? Mm -hmm. Because like this could be so culturally significant to just gay creators. But I don't think it is. I think that it's more expansive than that. Well, and yeah. so because it's not necessarily niche and it's more universal, I would characterize that as more classic. Yeah, especially when it extends to Disney, um, who's not known back then for being LGBT friendly. Um, They're still not. They're like, they skirt the issue. It's like, who gives a shit about Chinese money? Let's just watch some dudes fuck. They have gay days at Disney. So I'm pretty sure, I don't think they had those back then. However... I don't know how I would do it now. Now you've 
ruined my whole plan. Um, but it's not winning against Onibaba. No, not, not by a pretty wide margin. Sorry. Okay. Like, Onibaba is just pure art. And what's funny is I found a Japanese pro wrestler, uh, Akira Hakuda, who comes out with the Oni mask and mm -hmm. she has the whole pageantry and stuff. And that woman, she fucking hurts people and it's fun. <laughs> well, actually, that's the kind, I don't know. Like, do you think Onibaba is a, a good representation of Japanese culture of that time? Interesting. Uh, of the time it was created or the time that it's set? The time that it's set. I mean, I have nothing that I could point to that would be contrary to that. I mean, I've looked at um, poetry and kabuki theater and paintings, and it seems very in line and represent representative of it, but I don't know. I'm, I'm culturally bereft to, to well, an extent. More like that was kind of like an opening to the follow up question. Do you think, oh. do you think, multiple maniacs is an accurate representation of america both then and now <laughs> i kind of want to say yes um sometimes frustratingly so sometimes we can be real trashy y'all yeah honestly i i do think that in a very frustrating manner yeah because you would hope that we would ascend and we would we would develop beyond and that these kinds of issues wouldn't be so looked down upon you know that like queer culture wouldn't be so niche and it would just be what is i mean it, at a certain point like queer existence is a baseline it's not an exception it is just a you know a smaller portion but it is inarguable it has existed for thousands of years it predates jesus for god's sake but um mm -hmm. and so <laughs> i i do think that like you know, if you played this today, if people are saying Hocus Pocus 2 is literal witchcraft, if you played this for that same cranky lady <laughs> on Fox News, I'm sure she'd probably shit herself. Yeah. So, and, and that's, I think, one of the things that kind of emphasizes the classic element is a certain degree of timelessness. Yeah. It's just weird. Like, I, I'm kind of having an aha moment how mm. many similarities. Take on are, me. Um, mm hmm um, how many similarities Onibaba actually has to multiple maniacs just in different cultures? You have matronly ladies going crazy. Uh -huh. You have both living a life of crime. Uh -huh. um, their mental health is stemmed to another person that they depend on. Yes. And then when that doesn't go that well, shit goes crazy. It gets shook. Maybe it's just me. I don't know. No, I, I, honestly, no, I can see the eye roll happening in the back of your head right now. I'm not rolling my eyes. Look how beady they are. Mm. Uh, I think that you know when it comes to the perception of this film, it's also how seriously you want to take it because you could just kind of like have this on in the background and it would be fine because none of the words really mean anything. It's all the visual. It's all the action. It's all the percussion, if you will. I disagree. That monologue in the church scene is what kept me watching to an extent you know but well you were probably busy with your hands during that scene i was in shock and awe the jerkin my gherkin yes the little pickle the little pickle grab with the bumps on it um <laughs> <laughs> but no i don't know i i i can see why you would call it a classic um i am more willing to classify it as a classic as well because of the influence it's had not just in queer cinema but rolling into disney which basically unbeknownst to the populace divine lives in people's heads in the form of ursula yeah um so you know that's that's pretty magical well and, and you see that era of drag queen um, you know that very vintage look is is used a lot like when i lived yeah. in maryland there's the beehive festival where you'd even have heteronormative guys with beards with you know a beehive haircut because there's a certain tongue-in-cheek element that you can kind of use to the expense of the 1950s americana you, know, you have boomers who treat that like the heyday and the thing that they're trying to get back to and it's a constant source of rebellion and satire um, and so in that regard as well, it's something that it's fun and also kind of, again, timeless. It's like the things that we're making fun of, the identity that we look at, um, it's still very relevant because it's constantly used as an excuse 
for certain fundamentalist values and then you get to see it kind of unfurl so i liked it i loved it i don't want more of it i think it was a perfect amount of time to have spent not wasted yeah it was good it didn't overstay its welcome i was i was uh uh not bored I didn't really want to say I was under I was entertained. There were some parts where I was like, okay, we can keep going. Um, but yeah, so can't really recommend it though. Um, but I'm glad I watched it. I understand why it's a criterion movie. I do think it has its place in the criterion collection. And honestly, I want to see more John Waters movies. Um, so but I think this is the only black and white one. So this is the only one we'll be covering on the podcast daddies. Yeah, I, I would recommend it, but it's not a movie that I would recommend more than once, I think. I think, um, you know, like once you've seen it, you've kind if, of got it all. If your wife was like, hey, do you recommend a movie I should watch? I probably wouldn't recommend this one to her. Um. <laughs> that's, that's the thing you have to keep in mind, too, is like, especially if you are married to a normie like I am, you get a very you have a very narrow margin of error when it comes to showing things. And so it is incredibly rare I watch something for the first time with my wife. I very often screen it because if I'm only going to get that one time to sit on the couch beside her, it's going to be something that I know I'm going to like. It has to be a banger. <laughs> um, and then that's a movie like this. Watching it, like the only reason I would watch it a second time is to watch it with someone else and bear witness to their reaction because yeah. that that's the kind of thrill. Because if once you've seen it, like again, because it's so visual in nature, those things kind of burn into your mind. I don't really think you're going to get a whole lot a second time. Yeah. No, for sure. I agree. But I don't think we have much to say, much to do more about this movie. Um, I don't know. Maybe we'll cover more John Waters movies in the regular episodes with everybody else, because we all know Doug probably has some interesting things to say about it. Jason probably has some interesting things to say about him. I would love to hear Aid's response to some of the movies. So we'll take those back to the main stage. But as always... If you guys are looking for t-shirts, mugs, stickers, what have you, you can feel free to uh, look at our Patreon store for some awesome gifts or presents to yourself. Just Google Patreon Slashers Podcast, or you can go to slasherspod.patreon.com. You can find us on Instagram at Mutant Goons From Beyond or Slashers Pod. You can also join our Facebook group at Mutant Goons From Beyond. I believe so, yes. Yes. Um... Did I miss anything? Oh, Aiden. no, I think you did a so good mad job. It would be so mad at me right now. Um, but yeah, so that wraps up this series or this entry into our Dilt Criterion Cavalcade, we'll call this episode. Yeah, the Criterion Cavalcade of the Perverse. But Jake, thank you for making time to come record with me. I always enjoy doing these with you. Thank you um, for picking another good movie. Yes. I'll keep doing it so long as you keep picking bangers because your success rate's pretty amazing so far. Three for three, baby. Deuces. <laughs> truces. That's right. And then next week, we're going to be meeting in person. So stay tuned for I get for to hear Mikey's voice that. through non-electronic means. Yeah. Going, uh. Just kidding. We're not going to do that. But. Uh, na, 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 na. Yeah, shorty, even though you're taller than me. Without anything else to say. On behalf of Jake and I, thank you for listening. Goodbye and good time. You're the one who has to stop recording this time. I know.